This is Rick Funston with the University of Nebraska at the annual Goodmanson Sandhills Laboratory Open House um, in a different format than, than I've experienced to date, but uh, nonetheless, thank you all for, for getting online and listening to the presentations thus far. Um, you're all familiar with the Goodman Sandhills Laboratory. We've uh, a composite herd that's Red Angus Simmental, and then a forage resource that's upland range or sub-irrigated meadow, which really complements um, grazing because we have uh, two different uh, grass varieties that uh, have different uh, growth patterns, as shown in the slide, and different forage quality both in crude protein and in energy. Um, this is years of data that Don Adams was uh, instrumental in collecting to put together some of these um, plant nutrient profiles throughout the year. And the questions become how, how do we uh, both take advantage of or deal with those changes in forage quality, especially if we want to uh, remain profitable and decrease feed costs, which is the largest cost we have in beef production. Uh, we ask ourselves, what are the implications of uh, grazing animals in a system that the forage quality is below their requirements, not only for the animal that's grazing, but in the animals that uh, subsequent progeny in both the steers clear through the feedlot and the heifer calves as measured in fertility and growth and, and uh, feed efficiency, for example. Well, one of the biggest decisions a ranch has to make is when they calve, because it has far-reaching implications um, on the entire, entire system. And uh, I want to highlight one of our calving herds in uh, three studies that were conducted and finishing up at Goodmanson. Um, one of the things we must consider when we change calving time. How does it affect winter feed requirements? That was some of the biggest uh, impetus to calve later when Don Adams' research was uh, to decrease harvested forage needs. And uh, feed costs obviously are the number one cost in any, any ranch operation. And can we utilize range forage more as we uh, change calving date? But how does that affect both cow and calf productivity at weaning and post-weaning? And do we need to uh, consider alternative post-weaning strategies for those calves born in later calving systems? But the bottom line is it's not all about outputs. Uh, some of the early calving uh, work shows uh, heavier weaning weights, um, different uh, uh, weights going into and out of the feedlot, but uh, what about overall profitability, which not just considers output, but also inputs? So <clears throat> four main factors that we think about as we change calving. Harvested feed is lowest if we calve later, bad weather. Uh, challenges are lowest as we calve later, but weaning weights are lower as we calve later. And then labor, it depends on the operation could be a conflict as we're calving later if it, if it uh, interferes with uh, other things on the ranch that we need labor for. But the big, two biggest factors I think that people consider when they, when they uh, choose a calving season is weather 
and then labor because a lot of these ranches don't have facilities to deal with storms and uh, one person that is calving a lot of animals on some of these larger ranches. We've uh, <clears throat> always, since I've started work here, had more than one calving season. We had a June and March when I began. Uh, through the years, we've uh, calved and always had a March herd. Uh, then we had a March, June, and August and have some nice data published with that. Comparisons and different post-weaning management strategies and then currently we have a May and a March calving herd. So what are the opportunities? Well, why would you calve later? And we talked a little bit about it, but if we look at matching forage, highest requirements of the cow are early lactation. And, and oftentimes we may not have very good quality forage during early lactation if we calve real early before the forage comes on. So early lactation <clears throat> is a in this May calving system has high protein and energy, and uh, we can potentially take advantage of that and recover any body condition or body weight changes over winter um, due to not supplementing um, and decrease our harvested feed needs. Severe weather, as I mentioned before, challenges are much less as we have later. Breeding occurs uh, during a period of the highest or higher ambient temperatures. Um, from our work done with calving in March, June, and August with uh, uh, cows that have had multiple calves, no difference in pregnancy rates. So uh, a lot of people worry about the heat. I think heat and humidity become the issue. And uh, generally, at least in, in uh, this area in Nebraska, it cools off at night, so they get relief from that heat. And I think the heat becomes a much bigger factor as we go to the southeast. The one that is a challenge, I believe, is this declining forage quality during the breeding season as we calve later and breed later. And it's been implicated to increase embryonic loss and decrease conception rates. So from previous work, and this first uh, bullet was the March, June, August, we saw, again, no difference in preg rates for cows that have had multiple calves, regardless of when the breeding season was. We did see, though, that heifer calves from a May calving herd had lower pregnancy rates than from our March calving herd. So what are potential management strategies to overcome some of these challenges. Well, supplementation might be one, uh, although probably not uh, the number one pick to go supplementing cattle during the summertime. But we looked at, did we have an effect to supplement cattle during, during the breeding season in this May calving heifers and first calf heifers? So we wanted to look at preg rates and then body weight and body condition and what did it do to the weights of the calves that were on the first calf heifers? Well, we had body weight increase in heifers, heifer calves that received supplement as body condition followed, but no difference in uh, puberty or pregnancy rates. On the first calf heifers, we saw a response in uh, body weight and body condition if we supplemented her, but again, no difference in pregnancy rates. So no great uh, benefit to supplement during the breeding season on the outcome that we were trying to manage, which wasn't necessarily body weight, but it was pregnancy rate. 
Calf body weight was increased in uh, the first calf heifers that received supplement, whether it be whether it was direct through milk or eating the supplement or milk production or a combination of both, probably. So supplementing this supplement that was high in undegradable protein, increased weight and body condition, but did not uh, impact pregnancy rates was, was the outcome we were looking for. Uh, some other protein sources that are being looked at involve uh, more rumen degradable protein and potentially this could elicit a, a different response possibly than, than the high undegradable protein. Well, the other, the other thing we have to manipulate or utilize is different forage types in the sand hills. So can we take advantage of these to overcome any potential detrimental effects of these later breeding seasons. So we had both heifers and first calf heifers again, but then we had multiparous cows that have had multiple calves. And then the treatments were either meadow or range with and without supplement. If we look at this one year of nutrient analysis as agreed with the early slide, protein is higher in the meadow, but interestingly, uh, energy was pretty similar and followed a fairly similar pattern on the meadow and the upland range. If we look at uh, body weight response, we start with the top two lines, which are the multiparous cows. We did get a response to supplementing during breeding on body weight in all three classes of animals, the first calvers in the middle and then the heifer calves on the bottom. But <clears throat> again, we did not see a benefit on pregnancy rates for any of the classes of animals that were uh, either grazing the two grazing systems or supplemented or, or not within those systems. The calf at side, um, we saw heavier calves from the multiparous cows, and we also did see heavier calves from the cows that were supplemented as we saw in the, uh, in the previous study. So <clears throat> forage analysis, we had higher protein, similar energy. Um, we did increase body weight by supplementing <clears throat> and calf weaning weight, but we saw no difference in pregnancy rates. So the last of the studies really builds on some work that <clears throat> we looked at the need to supplement cattle in a March calving system during winter grazing and how did that impact future uh, productivity of both the steer and heifer progeny. Like I mentioned earlier, the May calving system, we have a much different nutrient environment immediately before calving for sure than we do in the March system. So we've seen negative effects from not supplementing in the, uh, in the uh, March calving system during winter grazing. The forage is different though in the May herd, right? As I mentioned, going to be different during a different, during um, <clears throat> late gestation. So we're hypothesizing that this difference in forage and consequently nutritive value 
will affect rebreed pregnancy rates and alter progeny postnatal growth and performance, perhaps in a different manner than in our March calving system. So we wanted to look at, again, a similar model, two forage types with and without supplementing in late gestation on our May calving dams. On both their, their individual performance and pregnancy rates, and then the progeny postnatal growth and the heifer reproductive performance. And the steers clear to slaughter fed out here at North Platte. The dam results, <clears throat> we saw you know, approaching significance, negative effect in the range no supplement group. So a decrease in pregnancy rates if we didn't supplement that cow grazing native range. But if you look at the both meadow and, and the range supplement, they're quite similar. So body weight was lowest in the range, no supplements. The other treatments were similar. Condition score followed. Um, the meadow grazing tended uh, to increase uh, pregnancy rates. The steer progeny, late gestation nutrition had no impact. Um, heifer progeny, it, there was an interaction between the pasture type and, or, and supplementation. So dip, somewhat difficult to explain, um, but no difference in pregnancy rates when she was bred as a, a yearling heifer. With no differences in, <clears throat> in gain on the steers, but there are some reported differences in the heifers. Uh, why difference in steers and heifers? Well, there's other species that show some uh, sex-specific responses, and it's likely an interaction of, you know, hormones and then gestational treatment, which uh, the females and males responded differently. If we look at there, then rebreeding of the heifer after she had her first calf, interestingly, our preg rates were lower in the two, the two range systems. So why, why this lag um, that we had no difference in initial pregnancy rates, but in our first calvers or after they had a calf, preg rates were greater in those that were on meadow that came from a, a cow that was on meadow during gestation. So with that, I'm about out of time. If there are any questions, feel free to contact me or type them in the chat box. Thank you for attending.